0: This episode of The New Way We Work is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. This is The New Way We Work from Fast Company Magazine, where we take listeners on a journey through the changing landscape of our work lives and explain exactly what we need to build the future we want. I'm Fast Company Deputy Editor, Kate Davis. Before we get to today's episode, I want to take a moment to thank all of our listeners for their continued support of this podcast. Whether you've been listening for one week, one month, or way back in the beginning in 2018, I really appreciate it. And to show that appreciation, I'd love to start to recognize our listeners. If you tweet out a link to your favorite episode with the hashtag new work, I'll give you a shout out on an upcoming episode. Now onto the show. So we've been talking a lot this season about remote work and hybrid work, including the last episode where we talked to Dory Clark about how to advance in your career if you're working fully remote, hybrid, or even going back to the office full time. If you haven't already listened to that episode, it's really worth going back to. Today, we're going to hear from someone on exactly why they love remote work so much, even though they weren't initially sold on the arrangement. Andrew, who has requested that we not use his real name, is a healthcare recruiter in New England. He's a self-described extrovert who thrives in social situations. The isolation that followed the shutdown was a difficult transition for him, and so was his work-life balance at first. This is Andrew's story.
1: The month and a half or two before the big shutdown occurred, my entire office, including myself, got drastically sick. And this was, of course, before COVID tests. Like, we're like halfly joking that we got COVID, but we're also like, did we get COVID? Like, you know, so we did a team meeting before we all kicked out. Cause, like, most of us at that, so I've changed companies during the middle of the pandemic, but with my first company, when we changed over, I ended up working probably working like seven to seven just because we were aggressively cutting cutting staff down so it was very much hunger games so it was like if you wanted to keep a job you had to like you know make it happen so the only way to do it was just work 12 hour days and just like try to make whatever sales you could possible i was actually recruiting people in australia so trying to arrange people australian interviews is a pain in the butt i'll put it that way because it's like a 12 11 13 hour time difference so i'd like calling people at one in the morning just to meet with them like you know, we were definitely kind of like grinding our teeth just to try to make sales that like offset the damage due to COVID, but they never let off on it even when things got back to better. So it's kind of like, you know, you know, when you're doing recruiting sales, like you obviously are going to work 50, 70 hour weeks. It just felt like it just stuck to the same 70, 80 mark and it never turned off. So quality of life was there. And then like this other job I'm at now, like, you know, this company just allows, like, it allows the remote feeling to be really more of the benefits and not the punishing aspects. Because, like, some companies, when you go remote, you don't work less hours, you just work more hours, and there's less of that barrier between, like, my last, it's funny, I think I have the two experiences of remote working, which is, my first job that I left was, there was no separation from work or home. Like, it was just, like, my computer literally represented work, and if I, like, touched it, I just knew... An email could come in. Like they never felt like I had permission to stop working um, or that I ever was truly off the clock, so to speak. Like, you know, I could get a message at any time and I would be expected to respond to it because that's just the nature of the beast there. Whereas my current job is like, no, you're really done between five to six. Like that's real, like I've, which is nice because then you're already home. If you need to do something, you can do it. I mean, I love being remote. Like part of me is like, I'm, I'm an extrovert. I love meetings. I love in that. But I'm also in a different place in my life now. I'm like, I'm, I'm older now. I've got a wife. I've got two pets. So like my extrovert energy can be satisfied if you were to be like, oh, what it's like being extrovert. Like I can talk to my wife. She's awesome. And well, my pets are awesome too. And I love them. So it's like, I can just hang out with them during the workday once in a while. I'm like, oh my God, how are my little bunnies doing? So, you know, how that all goes. So um, I think remote, I'm definitely a more productive person because like the thing is like you think about the eight hour workday, like a lot of people, there's, there's a lot of studies in Europe that just show like if you have a six hour workday, you get the same amount of productivity, if not more. It's because people apparently kill time at work. Like when you're in the office think about all the times so you be like, oh, how's your day going? Blah, 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 blah. Oh my God. You saw that game last night. And now you, you probably effectively have found ways to kill two to three hours just because like. A lot of people really can give you a good solid five to six hours. Um, so for like myself being remote, like I feel more productive because I don't necessarily have pe- people around me to like distract me. So I just pound out my work, get it done. And then once I've really done what I've to do, I can then just like gently monitor whatever, whatever else is going on for the rest of the day and just you know relax instead of like killing time intermittently and you're not always really sure how you're going to kill it inter- intermittently versus if you're remote, you're killing your work. You're gonna finish it, you're gonna knock it out. Yeah, you're gonna have your meetings throughout the day and then you'll take your own personal breaks when you need to, cause you know, be a mature adult and not a jackass and do your job. <laughs>
0: Before we go, we have one last segment for you on today's show, and it comes from Fast works in partnership with McKinsey & Company. In this custom segment, Fast works correspondent Ted Brown talks with Lorena Yi, senior partner at McKinsey & Company, about diversity, equity, and inclusion in the new world of work.
2: So Lorena, how has remote and hybrid work impacted the fight for diversity and inclusion in the workplace? Has it made anything easier? Has it made anything more difficult for you?
3: hybrid work has been a net benefit in many ways for diversity because in this world, you're all together. You're seeing each other on the screen together. You're in the meeting together. So in some ways, it's been a democratizing factor. That's the optimistic story. I think that what we're worried about, though, is a bit of the underbelly of remote work. A couple of specific examples. Suddenly, where work and home don't have any boundaries the home amount, the low that women take in terms of their home responsibilities has gone up. And there's no place in our normal way that we assess and understand our employees and their performance to put that into context. Another thing is that because we don't have that physical workspace, some women and women of color have said it's actually harder to make those informal connections So if I went into COVID without a very strong network, it's been harder to build that and invest in that. And so I feel a little bit a step behind.
2: I did want to ask specifically about women of color because your team at McKinsey has done a lot of research around this and the McKinsey's Women in the Workplace report talks specifically about the challenges that women of color face pre-COVID and things have only gotten worse during COVID. Where do we go from here in supporting women of color in the workplace and how do organizations generally move forward in making that support more tangible, more actionable?
3: Allyship, allyship, allyship. So what companies were less focused on before the racial equity discussion came to full mainstream They were focused on mentorship and sponsorship. Over the last year, we've seen an increase in managers raising their hand and the vast majority of men and women saying, we want to be allies. The challenge that we've seen over this period of time is that the actions that an ally would take haven't actually carried through. It's good to be empathetic to the context, the racial context that surrounds us, be that Asian hate, be that Black Lives Matter. It's really helpful. But you need to take that empathy a step further as an ally. And we still have a gap there.
2: You were talking about the transformation now that we're kind of going back to certain ways of doing things. Uh, kids are going back to school, certain offices are opening, and people are still dealing with burnout. people are still dealing with the emotional, mental stress of COVID and how it impacted workplaces, how it impacts our, our lives and that, that boundary between, between work and home life. Now that we're approaching this sort of new normal, this hybrid work environment, how should we be thinking about mental health and burnout?
3: One of the things that's interesting about burnout is that it's helpful to put it into context of company performance. And why do I say that? Because over the period of the last year, year and a half, companies by and large in the US have performed really well to not exceptionally well. And that financial performance is built by people. And the people who are making that happen are waving their hands and saying, we are delivering, we are hanging on, we are committed, but we are burnt out. And that is why it's a top issue, I think, for executives to solve and not just
2: observe. I mean, part of burnout is not seeing your work rewarded, not seeing your work valued, right? And there's evidence that women and people of color do more work to support other employees and encourage diversity at a given organization or a company. But most of that work goes unrewarded. What can organizations, what can companies, what can executive leadership do to fix that problem?
3: If it's important to the performance of your company, reflect that in how you evaluate people in their performance reviews. If doing the extra work at work Making sure, and let me just give you examples of that extra work that we see women oftentimes stepping up more than men, being an ally in terms of racial equity, being a sponsor for more junior members, both men and women, making sure during COVID that their teams are able to figure out how to create some boundaries between work and home, how to prioritize in a world where everything just felt like a tornado all those extra pieces, if that matters to your performance, then that should be reflected in how you review people.
2: We talked a little bit about allyship and I want to talk about another term that is sort of, it's not the same thing, but it rhymes, that's empathy. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like what you're arguing arguing for is for organizations, for leadership to understand and empathize what their employees are going through, how does an organization go about making that empathetic transformation?
3: First, I think where empathy comes in is actually listening and understanding. So that's the first step. Are you listening? Are you understanding where your people are? Are you meeting them at the moment? And by the way, this is a really prolonged moment. That's the first piece. The, The second piece is to understand the impact of being an empathetic leader. And what we see in the research is that both men and women whose managers spend that time with them, who are the glue wear that's putting the people fabric back together, helping them with their work at a time when, if you know, it's Humpty Dumpty, you know, kind of all broke apart in pieces, the workplace is gone. And as leaders put that back together, those managers that are both listening and providing that extra glue are more inspiring. And what that means is that those people, the teams, are more motivated to work hard. They're more motivated to stay in your organization. And they will resist what we keep hearing about is the great resignation. They will stay with you.
2: You talk about putting those pieces back together. How would you put it back together? How would you imagine the workplace of 2021 and beyond? What, what does that workplace look like to you?
3: It's not the same workplace. Don't put Don't put Humpty Dumpty back together exactly the same way. All the silver linings we have experienced in such an extraordinary period make that the norm. So what are some concrete examples? People, both men and women, tell us in the research time and time again that they actually want some of this remote work blended in as their norm. So how do we build in that flexibility? And then let's just take that further. Let's make sure that when you build in that flexibility, the people who are in the room aren't more greatly rewarded So how do you rethink the basic meeting? How do you rethink a team problem solving? How do you distinguish between high stakes meetings and low stakes meetings? I would also say, I think our usage of technology needs to be significantly different when we put Humpty Dumpty back together. Our ability to use different communications, our ability to co-create, our ability to be creative, but not necessarily always in person. That's something that we need to lean forward on as well.
2: Lorena, thanks so much for taking the time to talk today.
3: Thank you.
0: And that's all for this episode. If you're a new listener, be sure to subscribe to The New Way We Work wherever you listen. And if you like this episode, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We want to hear from you. Are you transitioning to a new job or career? Email us at podcast at fastcompany.com or tweet us with the hashtag new way we work. The new way we work is produced by Joshua Christensen. This episode of the new way we work is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com.